We are in part two. We started a series last week, and that series was sanctification. I will remind you that when the Bible uses the word sanctification, in a nutshell, it means to be set apart and set apart for a specific purpose. And our purpose as Christians is to be set apart in Christ to do the work of Christ. You know, in Ephesians, whenever we look at that book uh, that Paul wrote to the the uh, church there at Ephesus, I love this book because it's six chapters and it breaks down what it takes to become a Christian, what the church is made of in reality in the first uh, three chapters there. And this indeed is part of this sanctification, this being set apart from the world to Christ. And uh, he tells us that uh, the church in reality is made up of dead sinners, people that were, that were dead in their trespasses and sins, but he has uh, brought us into the kingdom of his dear son. He has broken down the middle wall of separation to where that Jew and Gentile, everybody that, that has the ability to read the Scripture, to discern what Scripture is saying, and then to obey those things that are in Scripture can be sanctified and set apart uh, for the Lord. But then in chapter 4, when we get to it, we get to a second part of uh, of the book of Ephesians. And he tells us there that the things that we are to do uh, is to, uh, you know, to, to have a dedication, a devotion to God, and that we are to do the works that the Lord has given to us to do. The Lord has left the earthly life that he had. And now then, he is at the right hand of God on the throne of heaven. And he has given over to us the job of spreading the gospel. So in reality, when we become Christians, one of the first things that is incumbent upon us as individuals set apart for the work of Jesus Christ and the spreading of the gospel is to uh, walk worthily of the calling that we have been given by God. And that involves work. It involves a lot of things that we will do. It involves uh, various sacrifices that we will make. Now, not like the Old Testament. We're not sacrificing lambs and, and making those kinds of sacrifices, but we're giving up things of great value for a higher purpose, and that is we're, we're giving our heart over to the Lord. We're letting Him lead us. We're giving our time. We're giving of our means uh, when we make the contribution because the free will offering of Christians is what uh, the church operates off of. And the Lord set all of that into motion, and uh, it's just the idea of devotion. Now, we're going to talk tonight why one would want to be, why would why one would need to be dedicated to God and to His Son. But we'll get into that in just a moment. And uh, Ray, I'll let you have a short introduction if you want. I think what you're what you're pointing out is probably one of the more difficult things for 
many Christians to keep in mind. I think most of us know that um, it requires the sacrifice of Christ. Uh, he died upon the cross for us in order for us to have forgiveness of sins and to be sanctified and set apart ourselves. But what I worry about is that we don't necessarily see the, this action of being set apart from the world of sin, but also set apart to the life of dedication and devotion and service. And we think once we go through the part where we kind of, you know, get ourselves cleansed from our sins, it's all over. I'd like to read some verses that I think gives strength to what you're pointing out in the book of Ephesians. Now, this is found in Hebrews 9. And just listen to the flow of these ideas. Verse 11. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Now, obviously, this is how we're redeemed. This is how we're cleansed. Uh, our conscience is cleansed from dead works. He'll say that to me. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more? shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works, watch, to serve the living God. Cleanse from, cleanse to. Cleanse from the dead works and cleanse to being able to be fit to serve the living God. For this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. I think about this, and I think, Lloyd, that the consecration that we go through, the, the sanctification, and all of this is based upon his sacrifice, should make us realize that the idea of devotion and dedication should be premier in our thoughts. We are purified. We are forgiven. All of this is made possible by the blood of Jesus. And we as saints have been sanctified. Now, is as such, as set apart, as the set apart church, as the set apart saints, we have this wonderful admonition in Scripture to move forward. I remember in Ephesians 5, going back to the text you were in, he said in verse 25, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Now that, that's, that is looking at the saved in a corporate way, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. Now, now what's he going to do to her? Sanctify her and cleanse her. Let me ask a question. Well, therefore, if I've been set apart, sanctified, made holy, by the blood of Christ? Should it therefore be acceptable just to be average or nominal as a servant of the Lord? Or should not everything that I do, and you listed some of the things that we do toward the Lord, should those not be things that, 
that my very spiritual breath hangs on. I'm so happy to do it. I used to tell folks, don't ask the question, how often should I go to church? It'd be a better thing to say, how often can I go? How often can I do this? How many times can I get this done? In other words, some people with this nominal view and not so dedicated, really, or consecrated, well, I'm just going to do a little bit, and that obligates God to save me or to accept me. No, that's not the way this works. Look what he gave up, and look what Jesus sacrificed that you might become this devoted servant tool of the living God. Glory. Yeah, exactly. I want to, I want to go to another context because you brought something to mind whenever you started talking there. We have Christians, we have seen Christians that uh, in reality, they think that once they obey the gospel, and whenever I say obey the gospel, that's a biblical term uh, the, that you'll find in the, in the New Testament. But what I mean by that is an individual that has taken the word, they have read that word, you know, Romans 10 and verse 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So we take this word, we understand it, we make application of it because we learn what sin is. We repent of that sin, and that means making a turn of 180 degrees. I don't do that anymore. If I'm a thief, I quit stealing. I get a job. If I'm a liar, I quit lying and I tell the truth. If I'm a drunk, I sober up and I begin to live for the Lord. But there are a lot of people that think, well, you know, I can uh, obey the gospel. And in reality, uh, you know, that will include your repentance. It will include that you would confess Jesus as the Son of God. We see that in Acts chapter 8 with the Ethiopian eunuch. And uh, because he said he saw water and Philip had been preaching to him Jesus. Now, I don't know what that sermon involved, but I do know that it involved baptism. And uh, when we get to Romans chapter 6, he will say that in a form, we are obeying the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. But how does that context of Romans 6 start out? It says, what shall we say then in verse 1? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? I don't know what the thinking of these people was, other than the fact that the job of grace is to uh, take care of sin. So if that's the job of grace, let's not put grace in the unemployment line. Let's just keep sinning, you know, so that grace can abound. Well, that's uh, a fallacy of thinking, really. And he says that in verse 2. God forbid, how shall we that have been dead to sin live any longer therein? He's talking about this, this process that we've you know, that we've gone through to be born again, as John uh, 3 talks about. And it involves the sanctification and involves, you know, getting uh, into the Lord, dedicating ourselves to the Lord. And so while we're in Romans, let's go over to chapter 12 for a moment. This past Sunday, I did a lesson on sacrifices. And I went back into the Old Testament, and we're going to go back to Hebrews here in a moment but uh, and, and talk about those sacrifices that were offered. And they, in reality, accomplished nothing as far as the forgiveness of sin. It was rather an obedient, a test of obedience from individuals. 
But for the Christian that has been sanctified, listen to what is said in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Now, how do I do that? By not being, he says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. That is the process right there of sanctification. But what does it involve? It, it involves leaving a life uh, and, and embracing another life. You know, coming into a realization that I have been bought by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And I told you a while ago, I do want to go to Hebrews chapter 10 for a moment. And I want to read a few verses here because I want to talk about this idea of sacrifice again. He said, for the law, having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of those things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. In other words, the sacrifices that were offered under the Mosaical law, under the patriarchal law, they were a test of obedience. They did not make the one that was offering them whole. They did not forgive sin. For, he said in verse 2, then would they have ceased to be offered because that the worshipers once purged should have no more consciousness of sin. If you were a young Jewish man and you went to the Day of Atonement and the priest made that great sacrifice there for the sins of the people and they did that once a year, then you at that moment felt like uh, that that all of your sin, all the guilt and the weight of that sin had been taken away. But surely, within a 24-hour period, you sinned again because we do that. We're, we're humanity. We're weak. And uh, he said that in verse 3. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance of again of sin every year. He's talking about the Day of Atonement. But he's talking about the next day. After the Day of Atonement, you have this guilt. Verse 4 said, It's impossible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. Wherefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but about a body thou hast prepared for me. And he's talking about Jesus Christ. And he's, he's you know, looking back at God. And God said, Sacrifices were in reality not what I wanted. I wanted a body. I wanted a complete sacrifice. Uh, in verse uh, 7, Jesus, this, is, this is, would be him, referring to him, then said I, Lord, I have come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will. There is a, a passage that very few people recognize or remember or probably even know in Jeremiah chapter 7 and verse 21. I just quickly want to read that, and then I'll turn it back over to Ray. God, looking at all of these sacrifices, now, now he instituted these things. He told these people he wanted them to do them. And it's kind of like Abraham. Uh, it was a test of Abraham to see if he had the kind of set-apartness, if you want to say it that way, or the sanctification to do what I want you to do. Well, that's the whole point that God is talking about in Jeremiah 7. He said, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Add your burnt offerings to your sacrifices and eat meat. For I did not speak to your fathers 
or command them in the day that I brought them out of Egypt concerning burnt offerings and sacrifices. But this is what I commanded them, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people, and walk in the ways that I have commanded you. You remember King Saul, whenever he went to destroy the Amalekites, that was the mandate that he was given. Kill everything. Don't bring anything back. Don't keep anything. Well, when he comes back and he meets Samuel, he's got all of these lambs behind him, you know. And, uh, you know, he says to Samuel, I have performed the, you know, what the Lord told me to do. And uh, Samuel said, oh, really? Well, what's the bleeding of the sheep that I hear? Well, he said, you know, the people brought those back. We, we brought those for sacrifice. You see, what, what Saul didn't understand, that it wasn't the idea of sacrifice as much as it was obeying. And so Samuel tells him that in verse 22. Then he said, has the Lord a great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of ramps. I think, Ray, a lot of Christians don't understand that. If I get up on Sunday morning and I go to Bible study, I go to church, I come midweek to church, I read my Bible, then those those kind of things, they're sacrifices, no doubt about it. I mean, they're, they're spending your time uh, giving up valuable time that you have for a higher purpose, and that's what a sacrifice really is. But the heart has to be there. The heart has to look into God's Word and see what God wants. And then you have to evaluate how great a gift that God has given to us. That while we were yet sinners, Paul uh, said in Romans, uh, Christ died for us. And so I have to understand what that is. And in reality, I want to give him the very best that I have of my life. But I want to do it through obedience. I want to see what God wants me to do, and then I want to carry that out in my life. Go ahead, Ray. Well, let me say amen to what you just said, and I'll add a little bit to it. Um, we have to grasp the fact that while sacrifice was a pretty consistent topic in the Old Testament, you well said, uh, it was not going to accomplish forgiveness of sins. But it was going to be a reminder. That's really what the Lord was trying to get across, is that uh, every time these sacrifices were offered, it was a reminder that there was going to have to be a payment made for sin. Now, ultimately, Christ was able to die and offer up himself for the sins of the whole world. You and I could never be a sacrifice that could pay for our sin because we're not qualified. But when you look back in Genesis 4, and uh, where you first see sacrifice practiced by Cain and Abel, and you very quickly picked up that one person was obedient in the sacrifice, and one person was not. Well, you move over to Genesis 22, and God calls Abraham to go up on Mount Moriah. And we all know the, the story. If you don't read it, you'll, you'll see it. Isaac was to be offered as a sacrifice. Now, God is saying, I'm not as pleased with sacrifice as obedience. I ought to give you a hint on what the Lord was after that day because he was not going to let Abraham kill his son. But when he said, now I know, there was something he knew about Abraham, that Abraham's 
faith in the Lord caused him to have such a devotion to the Lord that he was totally submissive to the Lord's will. And that, that was the critical lesson there, which as you progress then through the multitudes of sacrifices that were done both tabernacle and temple down to the time of Christ, all of this was to portray, number one, a need of man because of sin to have blood shed for him, but also a need of man because of that gift to develop a heart of devotion that would fully, fully please the Lord in every way possible. Now, I must hesitate. Some people today think because of what Jesus did, Jesus did it all, they say, that man does nothing. Well, that's ridiculous. We were saved and set apart by the blood of Christ to become devoted to the service. And in the same way that the Lord was a complete sacrifice and a totally obedient child, we're to look upon our relationship toward the Father in heaven in the same way. That even though Jesus paid it all, as you well read in Romans 12, I'm to be a living sacrifice. I, I love that. You know, all the sacrifices in the Old Testament were death sacrifices. And Jesus had to die, but he was raised up again, which means I can be a living sacrifice, holy, dedicated to the Lord. And I think this is one of the magnificent descriptions of the first century church. When those people understood who Christ was, and the Bible says in Acts 2, with many other words, he, Peter, testified, exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received, they made a great choice, his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Now that's wonderful, but notice the next thing. They continued steadfastly. That means devoted, full of energy in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. The, the, the key thing there is that they were committed now because of what they had, had seen upon the cross. And in this devotion, this dedication, this commitment, it was a wholehearted, zealous, single-minded, enthusiastic form of worship. You know, the singing that you came to that we all went to Friday night. That's the first one we'd had in a long time. And uh, I'd never heard that building sound any better. But what was tickling me, oh, there was no instruments playing, Loy. There was no special trained quartet up there. But a bunch of people that loved God, that believed that they were set apart by the Lord, joined their voices and their hearts in an effort to sing and make melody. And once we got her going, it was a pretty zealous effort, and that always lifts people's hearts. It, it does. does. You know, uh, it I, always lifts their hearts. Yeah, I mean, it's it's uplifting, and that's the purpose uh, for this. Assembly is is not just an arbitrary command. Uh, I'll get to it in just a second, but uh, in Hebrews chapter ten that I was reading in there a while ago, pick up at verse nine. Then he said, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. In other words, he's superseding Moses and the law of Moses. But in verse 10, he tells us, 
how he accomplished that and what he accomplished for us. By the which will we be sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And so this is how we are set apart. We are set set apart uh, to Christ to carry out his work, to carry on the work of the church. Uh, you know, Christ, he, he doesn't live here on the earth. In fact, he will never live here on the earth again, uh, contrary to what some people may say. In, in fact, Paul told the Thessalonians that uh, those that were dead would be raised, and then those that were still alive when the Lord comes back would meet the Lord in the air. And so whenever we look at, uh, you know, what we are to do, we're to carry on this work. But we are to more than just being devoted, you know, being devoted. Devotion has a point. And that devotion is, is that it is contagious. I felt that Friday night uh, as we sang and as we sang more and more and more. I could feel the sanctification that we were having, the, the being set apart to raise our voices in adulation and praise and worship to God. Well, later in Hebrews chapter 10, he said that we are to consider one another in verse 24, to provoke unto love and to good works. In other words, whenever the Lord asked for us to assemble together, this was the purpose. It is to, to consider one another. It is to provoke unto not only love, but good works. And he, he talks about that in verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. There's another one of those verbs that tells us that we are sharing together, that we are building the strength and the faith of one another by exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. In other words, uh, as we see the world and its degradation and, and its fall, uh, we need to uh, support one another. We need to maintain the faith, and we do that by assembling. Ray, I, I know that you are like me. You and I spend a lot of time during the week getting ready for our lessons that we preach on Sunday getting ready for our classes that we teach at our congregations, getting ready for our Tuesday night stuff. We have the privilege, yes, and the honor, yes, to be able to spend time that other people don't have that kind of time. I realize that. I know that. But you and I spend a lot of time in the Bible looking at what God has said, examining what God has said, and determining the best way to share that with people that, uh, you know, that we're privileged to have listen to us. But how bad is it whenever we spend that much time and we just don't see the support that we would like to have? And I'll tell you what, it is a lot easier to preach whenever the house is full, when the singing is strong, when the prayers are good and then you stand up and I mean, you're, you're energized. You're ready to go at that point. Aren't you Ray? Absolutely. You know, Lloyd, like you, I, there's been times I've asked that question. Uh, and I've, I've seen it ebb and flow, even where I'm at now, we seem to be in a better place than we've been in a long time, but it hit me that we always maybe thought about the wrong things. 
I think the more that we train people to understand what we're talking about right now, sanctification and sacrifice and dedication, the more they grasp the biblical premise of that, the less likely they to have those downtimes. But now, even back in the first century, there were churches there that developed this. Their their concept of, well, we're lukewarm. Let's just put, put it this way. Remember what he said? I know your works. He said to Laodicea, you're neither cold or hot. He said, I wish you were cold or hot. So then because you're lukewarm. And, and there's churches that think, well, you know, maybe we're not just bouncing off the wall trying to be, you know, energetic. And I'll talk about that in a minute in a negative way. But, but, but we're not dead. We're not just so cold that we're dead, but we're lukewarm. Well, the Lord said that's not good enough. He said, lukewarm's not good enough. I'll vomit you out of my mouth. So how do, how do we get through this? Well, we have to remember who our Christ is. What did he do for us? What did he have to go through to do that? And why did he do it? Just to save our souls or to not only clean us up and set us up out of the world, but to turn us into souls of honor for the Lord's sake. Now, what I fear is that it's very easy to get in the same place that Israel did. Back in, in Paul's day, he said in Romans 10, 1, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. That's what we wanted. They needed it. For I bear them witness that they have zeal. Now, we're not just talking necessarily energetic effort. We're talking about people that are devoted to doing the right things in the right way. He said they have zeal, but not according to knowledge. They're ignorant of God's righteousness. They're trying to establish their own righteousness. Well, I got to thinking about that one day. You have your own brand of sermons that please your creedal, you know, ideas. You have your own form of singing, whether it matches the way the Lord said to do it or not. You have your own Lord's Supper, as it were, and eventually you end up with your own Bible, you know. But he said they did not submit. Did you catch it? They did not submit to the righteousness of God. What was it that Abraham did in, in that day that he was asked to sacrifice? He submitted wholly in obedience to the righteousness of God. Now, what I fear, too, is this. Many have a deceptive form of dedication to the Lord. They think they're really doing a good job. Don't you recall when Jesus had told the disciples, now, wait, John 13, 36, Peter said, Lord, where are you going? Well, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. Now, that should have been good enough. Let me tell you something. He's going back to heaven. If, and if I understood that and the Lord told me, you're going to follow me there later, I'd have been going, yay, let's get with this. Peter said, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I'll lay down my life for your sake. Now, boy, that's commitment, isn't it? Jesus said, will you lay down your life for my sake? Most surely I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you've denied me three times. In other words, it was, it was misguided. It was deceptive. He thought he had the energy of dedication. But God's word demands that we become a living sacrifice, a living sacrifice. And when we come together, whether it's in the assembly of the church or if we're in our families, wherever it is that we are, 
the, our, our obligations to God, our love for God, all of these things must be there. Kind of like that widow. She put in all of her livelihood because she trusted her God. And, and that's exactly what the Lord was saying. You don't give me a little bit out of your abundance, but you need to be ready to give me all out of your poverty. Yeah. And it was not that, that he wanted her to starve to death. That's not it. But that should be the attitude of our heart. That's why, that's why I said earlier, when you're really devoted, it's, you're not trying to say, how many times do I have to go to church on Sunday or, or, or through the week, you know? And you're, no, you're, you're really longing to be there anytime you can't have a Bible out, to sing, Lord, to, to, to have a podcast, any way to get the gospel to the world. If we could grab a hold of it, we should do it. Yeah, I know it. Because we, we, we love the Lord. Asking you know? that question, how many times do I have to come to church? I've often used the illustration. I said, I can answer that uh, with a uh, proposition to you. You go home. And you tell your wife, or you ask your wife, or you go home if you're a, a lady, and you ask your husband, how many nights this week do I have to come home? I'll tell you what the answer is going to be. You, you don't have to come any, because if that's your attitude, then you truly do not love me. You know, sanctification is becoming part of a family. It's becoming part of, of that which contains God, Christ, and the Holy Spirit, it is this spiritual realm. And you know what I was reading there a while ago about forsaking the assembly. I don't think that it's uh, that it's just a accident that the very next verse said, "If we for if we sin willfully after we've received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin." A lot of people are always looking for something new. They're kind of like uh, Acts 17, whenever the Stoics and uh, the Epicurean uh, philosophers and those, those in Athens, they were always looking for something new. And Christians do that a lot of times. The, the worship of God, the things that God has asked us to do, just becomes mundane. But we're talking about our saint, excuse me, our sanctification. Let me keep reading from uh, Hebrews chapter 10, and uh, he, where he said in verse 26, that we sin willfully, we've, uh, after we've received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. But a fearful, a certain fearful looking for judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without compassion uh, under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment? Suppose you, shall he be thought worthy who has trodden underfoot the Son of God and has counted the blood of the covenant wherein he was sanctified? Isn't that what we're talking about? An unholy thing and is done despite unto the Spirit of grace. Whenever we have that kind of attitude, uh, how many times do I have to do this? We're doing despite unto the very Son of God and the blood of the covenant, which was that which was sanctifying us and making us holy. And we consider it something that, uh, you know, it's an unholy offering. And in verse 30, he said, We know him that has said, Vengeance belongs unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the, uh, uh, the Lord will judge his people. And then he closes that with a stern warning. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But you know, Ray, a lot of times these things are acquired by us by the environment which we put ourselves in. 
we parrot, we duplicate what is around us. I've often wondered, and until this last week, I don't think that I fully realized, how could Abraham even conceive of doing what God had asked him to do there? How could he do? I know that uh, the Bible says that, that he, he knew that God could raise him from the dead. But, you know, I think there's an, another element in that as well. Because in the area in which uh, Palestine lies used to be the Canaanites, the Ammonites, and, and all of those uh, uh, you know, Gentile nations that were there. And when a battle became fierce, when there was a calamity, where there was anxiety, when there was danger, all of these tribes practiced human sacrifice. They took their own children and offered them up. King uh, uh, Mesha of Moab, he did that. The battle became too fierce. Verse 27 of Second Kings 3, he took his eldest son, who would have reigned in his place, and offered him as a burnt offering. And, uh, you know, even in Micah, the prophet, in looking at all the burnt offerings and the calf a year old and what will please him, you know, 10,000 rams, uh, 10,000 rivers of oil. Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression? You see, they're leaning toward those things that are there. But in Deuteronomy 12, whenever the Lord said in verse 29, when the Lord your God cut off from before you the nations which you are to dispose, and you deplace them and dwell in your in their land. Take heed to yourselves that you do not ensnare to follow them. In other words, don't do this. But Ahaz didn't listen. Second Kings 16 and verse 3, he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. And uh, he, he, he put his own children through the fire, which we know is uh, abomination. And, uh, you know, that's part of the reason Second Kings uh, 17 tells us that Israel went into Assyrian captivity because he was angry with them because of what they did. And you remember, Ray, a number of years ago at uh, Waterview, I did a lesson on Molech. And uh, th that, was mm -hmm. the, that was the God that these people were sacrificing to. So maybe Abraham, you know, for a moment thought, well, these people have been doing that. Maybe that's what God is requiring of me. But I think that, that he better understood when it was all over because he did what God said. Whatever his reasoning was, he did exactly what God said. And that would be one of the hardest things in the world to do. There's no doubt about it. Go ahead. I didn't mean to take up so much time. Well, I, I'm gonna, when you said that the environment affects a lot of the thinking, and you can see how it did back there in Abraham's day, but I also have thought a lot about the way the environment affected the, the perception that people had of Christ, even though they lived in the contemporary times of his miracles and of his death, burial, and resurrection. And one of the one of the premier thoughts that has to come to your mind, if he did die upon the cross, well, the reason that he died there was to pay for the sins of the world and sanctify the believers. His blood, if you went back to Hebrews 9 and read all of that, uh, blood sanctifies and, and um, cleanses, and almost all things are sanctified by blood, the writer said. Well, as it was in the days of Noah, he sprinkled the book, the people, and and the the, the things of the of the worship service. 
Well, you and I have to be sprinkled in the blood, and our covenant is ratified by the blood, and everything is like that. Now, I'm saying that because his death on the cross illustrated our need for that blood to be shed. Okay, once that is understood by the people, then we respond to that by obeying what the Lord says, and, and even as you pointed out, our baptism in Acts 2 and so forth. But, but think about if there were 3,000 that obeyed the gospel at that time, and became sanctified people. There were still a lot of people that didn't. Josephus had said, I think, didn't you tell me that the figures come up to almost two million people or more? Two and a that half. It was in that region. At yeah. Two, two and a half million. Two and a half million. Well, now think about it. But, well, 3,000 is not a big number. It's not. And that's what I was fixing to say because I worked these numbers this last week. I don't think I even shared this in the lesson. But Josephus said there were 250,000 lambs at the Passover in Jesus' time. And all of those lambs died, every one of them. And so if there are 25,000 or 250,000, and it takes 10 people to have a legitimate lamb. And so that's two, that figures out to two and a half million people. So I looked, and you've got two and a half million people that have came to Jerusalem. Now, all those people didn't live there. Uh, they came there for uh, the Passover. But if 3,000 out of 250 or 2.5 million, if 3,000 were baptized, that is 1.2%. And so I just went to looking at Tompkinsville. Tompkinsville got a, a population of about 3,000. So 1.2% of 3,000 would be 36. So people to be baptized. We've beat that. In the county, we've got 11,200 people. You multiply that times 1.2%, that's 134 people. We've beat that. A lot of times we look back at that. I have and said, man, I wish we could do that. Well, in reality, we're bettering that, aren't we? Because uh, of, we are. Of, of the word. And, per capita, yeah. Yeah, per capita. We're doing a better job of that. And that just kind of, it kind of jumped out at me, you know. Uh, I I said in my mind, forgive me, Lord, you know, I, I was, uh, I, you know, I was discouraged because, uh, you know, I've often, I've often <laughs> That's said, a good point. yeah, <laughs> I've often said, you know, they preach one sermon, 3,000 people were baptized. Nowadays you preach 3,000 sermons, you get one to be baptized. And so I've been discouraged over it. But when you look at the numbers per capita, you know, we're not doing that bad. You know, the Lord is, has done for us. I want to read one more passage, and then I'll let you have it. Uh, and that's Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1. And uh, Yeah, verse 1. He said, Be therefore followers of God as dear children. When we are sanctified, we're into the family of God. We are the children of God. In, in fact, the Apostle John said in 1 John, that what a wonderful thing that it was to be called the children of God. Just imagine that. And uh, then in verse 2, he said, here's what I want my children to do. I want you to walk in love as Christ also loved us and has given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a, a sweet smelling uh, aroma, you know, there to God. And so when we are sanctified, what does God really expect from us? He wants us to make the sacrifice of love. And he wants us to make the sacrifice of devotion uh, to Christ. I, I wanted to throw that passage in while it was on my mind. Go ahead. I've talked too much tonight. Well, we both have. Uh, 
Listen, sometimes I like to make people realize that we all, if we're not careful, we live in our own little world. Uh, We'll have a little phrase, you know, as we perceive a thing, that's reality for us. Well, I've got my own little world. You've got your own little world. And, And a lot of times the way we perceive things is the way we react to the objective truth about God and about heaven and about, well, sanctification. You know, when Peter preached Christ to the, the, the countless numbers of people there at Jerusalem, the world that they primarily lived in was built around temple, priest, sacrifice, all of these things, being, you know, the chosen people of God, and, and most of the prophetic scriptures was about Israel. So here he is pegging it down to this one man, and that little world they lived in didn't allow them to receive that truth which I find it amazing that the 3,000 that received the resurrected Christ were able then to devote themselves wholly. Once they realized he died on that cross for us and he's raised up and our lives are to be a living sacrifices for him, now apostles tell us what to do. Well, if you move through the book of Acts, you will see different places where groups of people exhibited a different mindset like that. Um, you 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 would you could drop over uh, well a little bit later on to Acts 17 and and Peter goes to or Paul I'm sorry goes to Athens and he sees a, a group of people there not so much caught up in uh, in the old Jewish religion but they're caught up in all of man's religion and philosophical ideas and sciences a lot of kids are facing that in our culture today and their world is built around college and university and and, you know, some professors that are very skeptical and atheistic. And in that world, in that mindset, they cannot see the need to be sanctified, set apart, and become devoted, dedicated servants to the Lord God Almighty. Well, if you move on through the book of Acts, you get over to Ephesus in chapter 19, and here you had materialism and wealth, and they were making money out of making shrines to Artemis, and and when the gospel was preached, you're turning the world upside down. You're messing with us. And, and, and they were going to kill some of those men because money talks, by the way. It talks big time. So you look at our culture today and you have all these variant religions, some supposedly coming from the Bible. And, and you have people full of philosophical and science knowledge that robs them of any desire for Scripture. And you have people pursuing Money And here we are trying to talk about being a dedicated, sanctified servant of the Lord Jesus Christ in the midst of all that, even if we had to give up some of that. That's a hard pill for some to swallow. And there's only one way they're going to swallow it, is if they see the crucified, resurrected Jesus Christ standing at the right hand of the throne of God. It's amazing. It really is. And it is it's so hard, but in reality, I guess it's kind of easy in a way, our job, because really all we have to do is just to point out, you know, what Jesus in reality did for us. You know, Paul said in Philippians 2, let this man be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. If you can get this mind right here, you will be fully sanctified. You will be fully devoted. Nobody will have to tell you to attend. Nobody will have to tell you to sing. No one will have to tell you to give. Because he, being in the form of God, did not think it robbery to be equal with God. But he made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant, 
and was made in the likeness of men and being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient. You mean Jesus? Yes. Obedient to the Father unto the death, even the death of the cross. If I can understand that, what he did and what he accomplished, then I am truly easily set apart and sanctified to the service of Jesus Christ.